from Brandeis University for the world. This is 100.1 FM WBRS Waltham, online at wbrs.org. Brandeis Radio Service. WBRS 100.1 FM Waltham is brought to you by Cappy's Pizza and Subs, located at 559 South Street, right next to the train tracks. Cappy's provides everything from pizza to baklava at prices that customers can afford. Delivery and pickup are available. The number is 17818997132. The Justice, the independent student newspaper of Brandeis University, found on campus, online, on Facebook. Or at thejustice.org, WBRS 100.1 FM Waltham is pleased to announce our new sponsor, BTV Brandeis Television. WBRS, something for everyone. From Brandeis and beyond, we deliver news and views with international perspectives. Let's listen together. This is Brandeis and the world, only on WBRS. Hello and welcome to Brandeis and the World on WBRS. I'm David Lee Bang Huang. It is 9:01 Saturday morning here in Waltham, Massachusetts. Already 6:01 Saturday evening in Sochi, Russia, and 10:01 Saturday night in Beijing. Follow us on Twitter and on China's Sina Weibo at WBRS underscore David HLB, and like us on Facebook at facebook.com/slash/WBRS Brandeis and the World. Wherever you are, thanks for joining us. First up, let's take a look at news headlines from Brandeis and around the world with WBRS current affairs commentator Guy Mika. Guy, thank you, David. Here at Brandeis, the Justice reports that a car accident on South Street Sunday night sent three students to the hospital with serious injuries. The students, an 18-year-old male, an 18-year-old female, a 22-year-old female. We're crossing the street at 6:24 p.m. at the cross by the Foster Mods when they were hit by a car headed northbound, according to February 2nd press release from Waltham Police Department. The victims, all undergraduate students with serious injuries, were sent to Bethel Israel Deaconess Medical Center for treatment. The Brandeis Hoot reports that Levin Ballroom was fully packed on Wednesday evening, despite a snowstorm, as the Brandeis community gathered to listen to Kweku Ma- Mandela Ahmud and Naba Mandela, grandsons of the late Nelson Mandela, deliver the keynote address of Dice Impact Week. The event was sponsored by Ruth Lecture Series in collaboration with the African and Afro-American Studies Department. In addition to pack. Room. The Brandeis students, faculty, and staff. Other attendees included、Hugh、Herman Hemingway, class of 1953, the first black man to graduate from Brandeis, and Eliza and Judy Daku, renowned social activists who delivered the last year's keynote address. The Mandela grandsons are co-founders of the Africa Rising Foundation, an organization they co-founded with the mission of publicizing the positive image of Africa around the world. Kweku Mandela Ahmud 
is the producer, director, and social entrepreneur who has undertaken various films ventures in South Africa. Naba Mandela, Nadaba Mandela, his cousin, is a former senior political consultant at the Embassy of Japan in Pretoria, South Africa. Together, they have also launched the Mandela Project, a social media site to honor the vict the to honor the activism and spirit of their grandfather. David, what's going on in North America? The New York Times reports that the year-long effort to overhaul the nation's immigration laws, which had the support of U.S. President Barack Obama, Republican leaders, and much of American business and labor, was seriously imperiled on Thursday when Speaker John Boehner conceded that it was unlikely he could pass a bill. His pronouncement, amid mounting resistance from conservatives, significantly narrowed the window for success this year and left it to Mr. Obama to win the trust of balking Republicans. Mr. Boehner's remarks came a week after he and other House Republican leaders offered a statement of principles intended to win support for the measure. But he said House Republicans are now prepared to move forward in partnership with a Democratic administration that they believe will not fairly and impartially carry out the laws they passed. Reuters reports that congressional sources and an expert say that the U.S. Defense Department plans to ask Congress for 4.5 billion U.S. dollars in extra missile defense funding over the next five years as part of the fiscal 2015 budget request. Ricky Ellison, founder of the nonprofit Missile Defense Advocacy Alliance, and two of the congressional sources who were not authorized to speak publicly, said nearly one billion U.S. dollars of that sum will pay for a new Homeland Defense radar to be placed in Alaska, with an additional 560 million U.S. dollars to fund work on a new interceptor after several failed flight tests. The sources said the Pentagon's request for added funding comes despite continued pressure on military spending and cuts in other arms programs, a sign of Washington's growing concern about missile development efforts by North Korea and Iran. The White House plans to send its fiscal 2015 budget request to Congress on March the 4th. Guy, what's happening in Latin America? Mexico's Reforma Party, Reforma. Reports that during the ceremony in which the reform enacted in, transpar in transparency, President Enrique Peña Nieto said secondary laws must keep the bold and pioneering spirit. The court honor, the court of honor of the National P Palace to congressman, senator, and expert, the federal president acknowledged that there is the difference between an institutional framework and the pursuit. Perception that there is in in society on transparency. So it was considered necessary to encourage efforts that lead to this culture. BBC World News reports that hundreds of people in Brazil have clashed in with police during protests against increased fares for public transport. Commuters were caught up in violence at Rio de Janeiro Central Station during rush hour. Riot police fired tear gas and tried to disperse the crowd, while activists hurled stones and and petrol bombs. The ca the cameraman is in a cameraman is in serious condition in ho hospital after suffering a head injury. The BBC's Wire Davies 
was was at the station and was among those who went to the cameraman's aid. He tweeted, A fellow journalist suffered terrible head injuries when hit by exclo by explosive device. Did, did our best to save him. O Globo newspaper reports that six other people were, were also injured and at least 20 protesters were arrested. David, what's happening in China? The Chinese Foreign Ministry has denounced the Philippine president for his comments on a territorial dispute in the South China Sea. Benino Aquino compared it with appeasement by the west of Nazi Germany before World War II. Spokesman Hong Lei said, China-Philippines disputes in the South China Sea are mainly due to Philippines' illegal invasion of the Nanshan Islands. China is a country which resolutely upholds international justice and made huge sacrifices for victory during the global anti-fascist war and a historical contribution which cannot be obliterated. Talking about China and the Philippines' South China Sea dispute in the same breath as World War II is outrageous and totally unreasonable. China strongly opposes what the Philippines said. China is resolute in safeguarding its territorial sovereignty and committed to handling the situation through bilateral negotiations. Xinhua News Agency reports that the State Oceanic Administration said in Beijing on Saturday that China has opened a fourth Antarctic research base. The new Taishan station is located between Zhongshan and Kunlun stations at an altitude of 2,600 meters. It can accommodate up to 20 people during the Antarctic summer and is equipped with a runway for fixed-wing aircraft, specially designed for snow and ice. China's first Antarctic expedition in 1984 was the first step towards establishing the four research centers on the continent, Great Wall, Zhongshan, Kunlun, and now Taishan. The first station, Great Wall, opened in 1985. Taishan Station is expected to be in service for the next 15 years. CCTV reports that Beijing has finally gotten the winter's first snowfall. The city went a historic 107 days without precipitation. The snowfall started at 1 a.m. Beijing time on Friday in the city's southwest suburbs and then expanded to other parts of the city. Daxing District in South Beijing experienced the highest snowfall, reaching nearly 3 millimeters. Beijing weather authorities said the snowfall lasted the whole day on Friday. The snowfall came on the first working day after the week-long spring festival holiday, and it poses challenges to the city's transportation systems. The public has been reminded to remain cautious, as icy roads can be dangerous. Another CCTV report says that more than 2,000 people in Hong Kong were evacuated after a World War II bomb was found at a construction site on Hong Kong Island on Thursday. Local police announced on Friday that the bomb, an AN-M66 containing a thousand pounds of explosives, has been disabled. Japanese invaders occupied Hong Kong from late 1941 to August 1945. A number of World War II bombs have been discovered on the island since the end of the war. Guy, what's happening in the rest of Asia and Oceania? Democracy Now! reports that Iraqi authorities are illegally detaining thousands of Iraqi women and subjecting many to torture, rape, and threats of sexual abuse. Human Rights Watch said women reported being kicked, hung upside down, beaten on their feet, given electric shocks, and sexually assaulted during interrogation by security forces. Sarah Lee Whitson from Human Rights Watch 
referred to it to dozens of forced confessions and cases of judges admitting to being pressured to convict women without evidence. Whitson faulted the government of Prime Minister Noir al-Malaki for condoning torture. Al Jazeera English reports that Australia's human rights watchdog has opened an inquiry into the detention of more than 1,000 children under punitive government policies that have seen asylum seekers arriving by boat taken to Pacific camps. Gillian Triggs, head of the Australian Human Rights Commission, said that the probe launched on Monday will examine the impact of mandatory detention on more than 1,000 asylum seeker children being held in immigration facilities in Australia. More than 100 children are also being held on far-flung narrow. Triggs highlights the denial of freedom of movement for the, child, for the young children and noted that they are spending important years of their development under major stress. The inquiry will examine whether Australia is in breach of international child protection obligations and measures progress on the issue over the past decade. What's happening in Europe? BBC World News reports that demonstrators in Bosnia Herzegovina have set fire to government buildings in the worst unrest since the end of the 1992-95 war. Hundreds of people have been injured in three days of protests over high unemployment and perceived inability of politicians to improve the situation. Police used rubber bullets and tear gas to quell unrest in the capital Sarajevo and the northern town of Tuzla. Black smoke could be seen gushing from the presidency building in Sarajevo. The Sarajevo-based newspaper The Nene Avaz says police used water to disperse the protesters who were throwing stones at the presidency building. There were also reports of an attempted storming of the office. A leaked phone call made by a senior official from the U.S. State Department earlier this week has embarrassed America after it was posted on YouTube by an anonymous user. Assistant Secretary of State Victoria Nuland talked about Ukraine's political future with U.S. Ambassador to Kiev, Geoffrey Piat, in a four-minute phone call, and F-U-C-K, the EU, was allegedly said by Newland in the call. The U.S. State Department did not deny the authenticity of the video and stressed that Newland had apologized for the reported comments. Meanwhile, White House spokesman Jay Carney alleged that the fact that it had been tweeted out by the Russian government is something about Russia's role. German Chancellor Angela Merkel has said that Newland's apparent insult of the EU's efforts to mediate in the Ukraine crisis is totally unacceptable. Xinhua News Agency reports in Moscow that U.S. broadcaster CNN's description of a Soviet World War II memorial in the Belarusian city of Brest as ugly was cynical and shocking, a senior Russian diplomat said on Friday. Russian Foreign Ministry Human Rights Envoy Konstantin Dolgov wrote on his Twitter blog that U.S. journalists ought to refresh their memory about the decisions of the Nuremberg Tribunal. Dolgov said it should be remembered that Russia and the United States were allies in World War II. CNN's rating of the world's ugliest monuments caused an angry outcry in Russia and Belarus. 
CNN was quick to apologize for the offense caused by the list, which it ascribed to a contributor. When Nazi Germany invaded the Soviet Union on June 22, 1941, Soviet soldiers defended the Brest Fortress during the first weeks of the war. The fortress became a symbol of Soviet resistance and was granted the title of Horror Fortress in 1965. Guy, what's happening in Africa? AFP reports that a mob lynched a Muslim on, on Friday after he fell off a crowded lorry, driving thousands of frightened civilians out of the strife-torn capital of the Central African Republic. Locals said that the large convoy of trucks and taxis packed with Muslims fleeing Christian vigilantes headed north from Bangui under a slew of insults from angry residents. An AFP photographer saw that the mob set on the victim after he fell off one of the trucks and hacked to pieces of his body, which still lay on by the side of the road by morning. Armed Christian anti-Balaka fighters tried to attack a second vehicle in the convoy, but they dispersed. They but they dispersed when troops from an African peacekeeping force, Miska, fired warning shots. According to the BBC, Egyptian Health Ministry says that six police officers have been wounded after two bombs that went off in Cairo. The blasts were heard at around 9.45 local time in the Giza area and were around two minutes apart. Local media reports that the bombs targeted police vehicles stationed near the bridge. Armed groups have stepped up their attacks in Egypt since the ousting of President Mohamed Morsi by the military in July last year. BBC journalists at the scene say there is little obvious damage in the area. The attack took place in Giza Square, a regular route of marches against the current government. Anti-military protests are expected in parts of the capital later after Friday prayers. The Guardian reports that South Africa's President Jacob Zuma has, se- has, said gen- has said general elections will be held on May 7th. Zuma is urging South Africans to register to vote in their, th- in their thousands this week, the last opportunity to do so before the election. Zuma noted in, in a statement on Friday that the election has, was taking place 20 years after the end of white minority rule and that this provided a, an opportunity for South Africans to build on the democracy and anti-apartheid leader Nelson Mandela and others who, who fought for hard to, so hard to achieve. The ruling National African National Congress is, uh, is, the, is the electoral frontrunner, but the popularity of the party that Zuma has fallen amid corruption scandals Civil unrest over the protests say, say is a lack of adequate government services and other social pro- problems. And that's a look at some of the news headlines from Brandeis and across the globe. I will be back with my own analysis on the current political affairs and crisis in the Ukraine. But for now, let's send it back to David. Okay, thanks guys. See you shortly. You're listening to Brandeis and the World coming to you live from WBRS. I'm David Li Huang in Waltham, Massachusetts. Follow us on Twitter and on China's Sina Weibo at WBRS underscore David HLB. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash WBRS, Brandeis and the World. 
And check us out on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash WVRS underscore David HLB. After this break, we'll be back with our special coverage on Sochi 2014. Please stay tuned. Like most college students, I thought I was invincible. Then I got a strain of bacterial meningitis, a rare but deadly disease that strikes certain college students. To save my life, doctors had to amputate my arms and legs. I'm Melanie Ben. I survived meningitis, but I wish I had known about vaccination. Learn more about meningitis and the vaccine. Visit the website musa.org or call toll-free 1-866-321-4MFA. This message has been brought to you by the Meningitis Foundation of America. From Brandeis and beyond, we deliver news and views with international perspectives. Let's listen together. This is Brandeis and the World, only on WBRS. Welcome back to Brandeis and the World on WBRS. I'm Aaron Tinglan Dai. Here's how media outlets around the world are talking about the opening ceremony of the 2014 Winter Olympics, which was held in the Russian city of Sochi on Friday. The Associated Press reports that Vancouver has had the defective cauldron. Sochi now has the missing ring. The opening ceremony for the Sochi Games hit a bump when only four of the five Olympic rings materialized in a wintry opening scene. Five large glowing snowflakes emerged from a whimsical opening meant to depl- display the fort, depict the four seasons. They floated to the top of the fished arena and one by one started to morph into the rings. But only four joined together while the fifth remained a snowflake, apparently stuck behind the rest of them. The five were supposed to join together and erupt pyrotechnic- in pyrotechnics to get the party started. Instead, they were eventually darkened and moved out of the, out of the arena, just as Russian pre- President Vladimir Putin was introduced. Meanwhile, China.org.cn reports that uh, Konstantin Ernst, producer of the 20, Sochi 2014 ceremonies, blasted at media criticism of a technical failure at the otherwise flawless show on Friday night, saying perfection was impossible. The Russian artist said, I knew it! The very first question, the very first question to me would be about the unfolded snowflake. Nothing can be perfect. You should just forget about it and enjoy the, and enjoy the rest of the show. He also said, referring to the glitch at the start of the opening ceremony, it was unfortunate that the snowflake failed to unfurl to become one of the five rings. Let me remind you of a Zen idea that you have a, that if you have a perfectly polished bo- ball, keep one side uneven. We know international attention was all on the unfolded flake, but in my mind, it's still the most spectacular show ever. China Daily reports that Chinese President Xi Jinping's attendance at the opening ceremony of the Winter Olympics in Sochi reflects China's strong support of, for the Olympics and shows that it attaches great importance to the strategic coordination partnership between the two nations, observers said. Russia was the first country that Xi visited after taking office in March, and the trip to Sochi marks the Chinese leader's first attendance at an international sports event outside of China. Mikhail Titorenko, director of the Russian Academy of Sciences Institute in the Far East, said that these two firsts illustrate the importance of Sino-Russian relations. On the official Sina Weibo page of the Russian embassy in China, several Chinese citizens have urged Russia to return its occupied territories, including Vladivostok and the Sakhalin Island, back to China. Russian occup- Russia occupied a vast amount of Chinese territories in the previous two centuries, but government officials of both countries say that the territorial dispute between China and Russia has already been totally solved. 
Xinhua News Agency reports that visiting, President Chi visiting Chinese President Xi Jinping gave an interview at, uh, to a Russian TV channel in Sochi on Friday on such topics as the Sochi Olympics, China-Russian ties, and China's reform and development, and his governing philosophy. Major content of the interview will be covered on CCTV's flagship news program of Xinwen Nianbo at 7, 7 p.m. Beijing time on Sunday, February the 9th. And that's a look at how media outlets around the globe are talking about the ongoing Sochi 2014 Winter Olympics. David, how did students here at Brandeis University react to the Olympic event? Hello, Aaron. Well, actually, some Brandeis students watched the NBC rebroadcast of the opening ceremony in Houston Student Center on Friday evening, U.S. Eastern Time. WBS reporter Yoda Feldman went to the event in person, and he brings us this report. Let's take a listen. Friday evening at 7 o'clock Eastern Time at Brandeis University, students watched the NBC rebroadcast of the Olympic opening ceremony in Russia of the 22nd Olympic Winter Olympic Games. Um, it occurred at 7 o'clock and it lasted up until pretty late, about 9.30ish. Um, and there were multiple students attending. Um, invited by the Russian club. The Russian club uh, purchased food which drew many students to observe the event. It occurred in the game room where there were other students playing games at that time such as ping pong and pool and what food was present was Russian traditional Russian food primarily desserts but there was also pizza provided by student events which was consumed towards the beginning of the rebroadcast. The Olympic Games uh, opening ceremony was playing on multiple TV screens and multiple students were watching. Um, there were many people from the Russian club who speak Russian and were interested in um, Russia for that reason and there were also other viewers um, also just generally interested in the Olympic Games. Um, there were different um, attitudes towards Russia as with the like contentious political situation right now. Some people brought up the current like human rights record of the Russian government. Um, it was also highlighted that there are concer security concerns but for the most part the students who were at the event were just watching the TV screens and looking at the ceremony of um, that the Russian uh, people made. With WBRS, this is Yona Feldman. From Brandeis and beyond, we deliver news and views with international perspectives. Let's listen together. This, this is Brandeis and, and the, the world. world, only on WBRS. Welcome back. Earlier in the broadcast, we mentioned how U.S. Assistant Secretary of State Victoria Newland insulted the EU in a recent four-minute telephone call to U.S. Ambassador to Kiev, Geoffrey Piat. Well, to talk more about the political crisis in Ukraine, WBR's current affairs commentator Guy Mika is joining us live here in the studio. Guy, although the U.S. and the EU are allies, it seems that they have some differences on the issue of Ukraine, right? Most certainly, David. For one thing, um, the, the U.S. wants to make this more about Russia, and the EU wants to make this much more about, about their economic relations with the Ukraine. The German, the, the German 
the German, um, the German Angela Merkel, German, um, the German Chancellor, um, was saying that that like we needed to lay off the the all those the Cold War stuff and to basically try to incorporate those the, the new the Cold War the, the the former Soviet bloc countries more into Europe at large. And I mean, and Russia, of course, views this as sort of a, as a threat to their interests, because they're be, because already the EU is moving very far into Soviet bloc territories. They've already they've already annexed all the, the EU has already all of the Baltic states, Poland, and many other former Soviet bloc countries and Soviet republics have joined the um have have joined the EU. And the Ukraine and Belarus remain the two holdouts to the integration of former Soviet bloc countries to the EU. At the same time, we have to worry about who are these protesters. Now, the the media, the U.S. media has been very problematic on reporting about who these protesters are, and there seem to be a lot of the protesters that are involved in, in that are part of the Ukra of the Ukrainian fascist party called Svobta. Uh, whose name I can't quite pronounce but um, the, 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 there have been multiple protesters that have held up white nationalist um, signs like a white nationalist cross and all kinds of other uh, fascist Alright, WBS Current Affairs commentator Guy Mika, thanks for joining us And that comes to a conclusion of Burn Eyes and the World this week like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash WBS, Brandeis and the World. I'm David Ibang Huang. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you again next Saturday. Bye for now.